0: All right. Um, before we have our our um, call to the word, um, I want to give a couple house cleaning things here. Um, this coming Saturday is our men's breakfast at Sam's house. Sam, where are you? There it is, Sam. Why don't you stand up, Sam? There you go. All right. There's Sam. That's Sam, everybody. And. and um,
1: Cooking
0: so it's safe to come. There you go. All right. And you can get the information on our website if you want to know where it's at, or you can call the office or see Sam after the service and get his personalized phone number. Okay. He'll give you his personalized phone number. Um, we're starting up our children's ministry again. It's been a long season. Uh Kids being all at home. How many of you parents, grandparents are, you know, not that you don't love your kids, but, you know, it's time for them to go somewhere else for a while. Yeah? Is that true? No? Yes. Anyway, um, part of our children's ministry is a program called Skituations. And it is a children's church soap opera where adults and teens portray children in real-life situations learning how to live the Christian life. It's like a weekly reality show, all right, <laughs> presenting biblical solutions to solve real-life con- conflicts. All right. Anyway, um, we're going to have a promotional presentation next week with some uh, voluntold actors who will be coming up and sharing with you what it looks like. And, of course, all of that is being done to recruit from our congregation people who will come alongside our children and instill the Word of God into their hearts in a very fun, relevant, interactive way. So I hope you'll be praying for that at least, and I I pray that you might even seek the Lord to see if he's not calling you to be a part of that. Now, you guys know on Wednesday nights, we have devoted now to intercessory prayer. Are you aware of that? Yeah. Um, And it has been incredible. We typically go from 7 to 8, but last time we went to 7 to 8.30, um, and not because Pastor was going long, as I know I do, but just because the Spirit was moving upon our people, and the prayers were ardent, and they were fervent. And we're starting to see some fruit come from this time. Um, it's something I'm going to continue on. Our Wednesday nights are going to be dedicated to intercessory prayer. And, um, and without going over some of the things that I've already shared the last couple of weeks, um, Carly, I'm going to put you on the spot. You didn't expect this. Um, you'll be t- using my name in vain, I'm sure. Um, could you share a little bit about your dad do you mind okay no, not at all. Okay. there's a microphone right there if you like yeah okay thank you for that opportunity okay thank you um
2: test test is it yeah. on okay thank you um as some of you know we went to oregon to be with my father um he has been in severe pain for six months 24 7. so bad that he was considering seriously, I know this is hard to hear, but to take his own life cause he couldn't handle it. It was so awful. And um, they did some, some procedures before surgery or whatever, but they didn't want to do surgery because it was 50, 50 that he'd even survive it. He's 82 years old and he doesn't have the greatest health. And, um, and he's been weak. So they ended up, he ended up saying, I need the surgery. I want the surgery. So Vince and I were blessed with the opportunity to go to Oregon and to be with him a week before and have the surgery and he was gonna have it that week. And um, I know it's prayer. He came out of the anesthesia in just like a second. It was just, he came out of the doctors were absolutely floored by the fact that he came out of it so quickly and they ended up doing arthroscopic surgery instead of slashing his back and so they were able to do exactly what they needed to do so his recovery is also very uh quick and he's still weak but he's he's coming around and he's being patient but the beauty of it is um we had a chance to share we had a chance to share again and again i have my whole life with my parents as far as since i've been a christian but been able to share the gospel with him He is very, very steeped in the Mormon religion and very um, stubborn about it. But he started to, through the, the ability to pray over him prior to the surgery, he said he felt the spirit, which confused him because in his belief, the Mormon church is the only church and that's the only way you can have a relationship with Christ. He's learning more and more through our ability to be there and pray over him and be an example and share the love of the Lord we were able to uh, show him it's a relationship with Christ. That's what it is, and it is the Christ of the Bible, and uh, the Son of God, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, and the one who is now sitting at the right hand of God. And we were able to say it over and over, and with that, you could tell the wheel's spinning. I, and it's, it's a seed planted, but I know it's why God saved him. He's 82. He didn't take him to heaven yet, or take him away, or his the, a number of his days were not ended because he's he's seeking God, he's curious. So he, one of the things he wanted me to say is thank you all for your prayers. Little does he know we're praying for his salvation, but we are, we, well, he does know, we've been telling that over and over. Um, he's like, what does that mean? But anyway, so it, thank you for your prayers. And, and God is doing a work, and I know that he hears our prayers, and I know that someday, my father, the scales will be removed from his eyes, and he will see the true and living God, and that he will know who he is, and that he will have a relationship with him, and that his name will be written in the Lamb's book of life, so we just continue to pray, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to be there for him, for the rest of my family. So thank you all for your prayers and God is good. God is gracious and he is patient and kind and long-suffering with my dad and I thank you for that. Thank you.
0: Um, what impressed me when Carly was sharing that earlier with us in the back room praying for our service was that when they prayed over him, he felt the spirit move. And, and if you know anything about Mormonism, you know there's a, a big, um, emphasis placed upon the burning of the bosom, you know, that, that feeling. And that unsettled him because he wasn't supposed to feel that from anyone who was not a Mormon. And since that has experienced, since he has experienced that now, God is cracking the door open to show him Amen. the true and living God. So you're right, Carly, the prayers of the saints are going to bring in. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Uh, yeah, well, that's good. Thank you for... I, I know I... Yeah. Um, on another note, perhaps even more glorious, uh, a good friend of mine just passed away. <clears throat> Don't misunderstand me, okay? Uh, his name was Richard Carrillo. And you know that um, Natalie and Roy are related to the Carrillos. As a matter of fact, I think half of Phoenix is related to the Curios. Um <clears throat> big family. They came to Christ at Calvary Chapel Central with Pastor John Brown, uh, who was the one who actually started this church. He, um, we had VBS, and the kids came to the VBS program, and they took home their paperwork to the family, they read it, they were curious, they came to church, they all got saved, and immediately, the church doubled in size, okay? A huge family, very, very huge family. Uh, Richard was a special friend of mine. Uh, He tolerated me playing basketball with him. Um, As you know, um, I'm short, but I am slow, and that's the way I play basketball. I can't jump, I can't shoot, I can't dribble, but I can foul with the best of them. And Richard was always patient with that. He had one of the sweetest jump shots I'd ever seen. So gracious, so fluid. And he was was just an awesome gentleman. He really loved the Lord and he really loved his kids. And anyone who will really love their kids is a man after my own heart. And he spent time with them. He got to spend some special time with them, unbeknownst to him, just a few days before he passed. He he left the house yesterday morning, going to the store with his wife, and then he's not feeling so well, so he asked to be dropped off at uh, the Phoenix Indian Medical Center, and he walked in there, and within an hour or so, he was gone. He had a heart attack. He shocked all of us, of course, and you pray for the family because they are still in shock. But. As it says in the Word of God, we we don't mourn as those who have no hope. And it was because of the hope of Jesus Christ and everyone in the room could celebrate the fact that now Richard, who has been in a lot of pain the last few years, is no longer suffering. And he's actually playing basketball with some people who know what they're doing. (laughs) So we rejoice with the Creole family and we also mourn their loss. All right. Uh, Kim, you want to come up and lead us in the call to the word? And could you please stand now in honor of God's word? You can tell us where we're at, okay? Okay, Okay,
3: if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Exodus 34, I'll be reading verses 5 through 9. You hear me okay <laughs> okay now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord merciful and gracious long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations so moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped then he said if now have found grace in your sight O lord let me lord i pray go among us even though we are stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. I'd like to pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful and beautiful day that you've given us today, God. Thank you for this church, God, that we can come in here and worship and just praise your name, Father. I pray for each and every one of these people that are in here and that are online, that you will bless them, God. Give them the ears to hear, God, and the eyes to see, the Spirit, God. And Lord, please bless our Pastor D, God. He is a wonderful pastor, God. Anoint him, God, fill him with the Spirit so that he can teach every single one of us here, God. I pray that when we leave here, God, we'll have a better knowledge, and more love for you than we came in the store, God. And I thank you, God, and I pray all this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh,
0: you may be seated. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> and you know i cater for that, right? <laughs> all right. <clears throat> I feel led just for the moment to bow our heads one more time to pray for our president. Father, we, we do indeed bow our hearts for our president. We ask for your healing to be upon him, Lord. Bring him through this. Uh, we pray that you would continue to surround him with godly counsel as he makes decisions that affect our nation and our, our future. We know that there is a lot of stress and a lot of um, tension surrounding this political season. That you are sovereign, and no one, absolutely no one, will lead without your acknowledgement and approval, Lord. So we ask you, by your sovereign grace, to be with him, to comfort him, to give him wisdom and discernment, and we pray for his health, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, thankful for your faithfulness, and thank you that your son is returned pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we are in Exodus chapter 34. (laughs) (coughs) 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 Read a book this week and you probably have already read it, it's been out for quite a few years. It's Matt Redman's book called Face Down. Haven't you heard of that, anybody? Heard of Face Down, one or two, okay. Well, good then. It's a new book for all y'all. So I highly recommend it. It has to do with worshiping God in a very reverential, very personal, very holy way. Worshiping God in his otherness. Have you ever heard God referred as being other, other than? Well, he's other than you. Can you imagine that? as you are other than a cockroach. You get it? God is other. When you say holy, we mean something that's set apart, something that is other than. Other than. In his book, Matt says, God is stirring up his church again with a holy urgency to delve deeper into the soul-gripping wonders of who he is. This is what Moses is experiencing in chapter 34. When it comes to expressing our worship, what we do on the outside is a key reflection of what's taking place on the inside.
1: For Moses,
0: that is face-down worship of God. We talk about baptism. We had one here a couple of weeks ago, right? And it was an outward expression of a work that God has done inwardly in a person, a transformation, a change. Face-down worship is an expression of of reverence, of high honor, of subservience to a much higher supreme being, our God. Matt says, out of the overflow of our heart, we speak and sing. We dance and we bow. God reveals, and we respond. God shines, and we reflect. In the very same way, face-down worship is the overflow of a heart humbled and amazed by the glory of God. When's the last time you've had that kind of worship experience? Now remember in chapter 33, verse 18, Moses asked God to see his, see his glory. Yeah, to see your face. Show me your glory is what it says. Show me your glory. And God showed him his glory by declaring his name. You know, he says, you can't see me in all of my holiness and live. You know, you'll be microwaved on the spot, Moses. But... I will declare my name before you and remember that that his name his attributes his character is wrapped around in goodness look at verse five the lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the lord and the lord passed before him and proclaimed the lord the lord god merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, if you remember last week, we went over that portion of the verse. And we found that to be the quintessence of his his character in its purest sense. The quintessential, I blew it again. (laughs) that's my wife's fault I just want you to know never mind it's the nature of God it's his merciful gracious long suffering abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity transgression and sin which is all displayed in the universal right answer for every Sunday school question. Jesus Christ. That's right. John 1.18 says, No one's seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Or as the New Living Translation says, he has revealed God to us. And remember the conversation that he had with Philip, right? Lord, show us a Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? A lot of people think that there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. God in the Old Testament is an old, grouchy, angry Father. God in the New Testament is Jesus, is sweet and kind, and somehow escapes that temperament, right? And he's there to calm God down not so. God says I do not change. Right? The same yesterday, today and forever. And Jesus Christ is God. Now you remember, you know, you don't think of Jesus getting angry, but there were times he did get angry, didn't he? Remember what he did in the temple? Turning over the table And when you see him in the book of Revelation, as we're going to look at a little bit today, you see one who is judging the nations and judging people, anyone whose name is not written in the book of life. So if you want to see the angry side of Jesus, I I suggest you read through the book of Revelation and see his wrath unleashed, but also, I want you to see, most importantly, because for you, you have not been called to wrath. As it tells us in Thessalonians, you have not been appointed to God's wrath. What have you been appointed to? Well, shall we say it again? What was it? Mercy, grace, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's what you're appointed to, guys. Can you tattoo that to your heart? And remember that when you bow your head to pray? All right. Well, that's the portion we covered last week. Of course, there was a somewhat troubling portion of the verse we didn't cover. I don't know if you noticed that that or not. But that's in the second part of verse 7, where he says, By no means clearing the guilty... Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. How many of you have ever been troubled by that part of the verse? Anybody? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. A lot of people think that this is all about generational curses. Have you heard that term? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> where the sins of the father are appointed to the children and it's like there's no way of repenting until you get past the fourth generation. Um, one person said, the, this worries me because my family has some skeletons in the closet. I, I don't know what a skeleton in the closet is, but I'm sure none of you have of those either, right? We're talking about people in other churches. And sometimes I think past sins are playing out again. Does God hold me responsible for something that someone else did? Can I answer that with a real, short, two-letter word? No. No, you're not held responsible. Moses makes it clear. Deuteronomy 24. Turn there, please. Turn there. Moses makes it clear that children are not punished for the sins of their parents. Okay. Deuteronomy 24, 16. Fathers shall not be put to death for the children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Okay. Now, we don't have time today, but if you want more assurance about what I'm teaching you, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 through 32 are a great exposition on this point. Now, observation tells us that behavior and attitude problems, just like physical characteristics of height and weight and hair color and such, tend to run in families, right? How many of you have ever walked by a mirror and realized that you are your mother, you are your father? And you're usually in those ways And when you said, you know, I'll never be like that. Exactly. And um, this, uh, this, this character, these characteristics that tend to run in families is particularly true of addictive behaviors, such as alcoholism and substance abuse. And similarly, physical and sexual abuse might become ingrained in the psychological legacy of certain families. So, but in that way, if you want to say there's a generational curse, fine. But that's, that's not destiny. It might be your dysfunction, but it's not your destiny. Because there's a promise in Second Corinthians 5:17, you need to turn there too, because if you're in Christ, you're different. You're free from these sort of things. Second Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, says, We see that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, and a new life burgeons. Okay, so those certain types of sin can be passed from generation to generation, but in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. The slate has been wiped clean. You are no longer a slave to those dysfunctions. You are free now in Christ. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed that's true that's a promise now if you go over to Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 Exodus 20 verse 5 I think we get a little more clarification here this is what I believe is the core of the meaning to this generational curse thing I believe that what God is saying to Moses is that if his love and forgiveness are rejected, God will punish. And that punishment will have repercussions through the generations that hate him. Notice what it says in Exodus 20 verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me okay in other words children will feel the natural consequences of their parents disobedience because of their hatred of God and children reared in such environment would imbibe and then practice similar idolatry thus themselves expressing hateful disobedience that's a possibility and the effect of a disobedient generation is to plant wickedness so deeply into the culture that it will take may take several generations for it to reverse if it reverses at all do you remember what abraham was promised by god god took abraham to the edge of the promised land showed him the land says your your children and your children's children your descendants are going to inherit this land and they're going to be more than the number of the stars and the heavens and the sands of the sea but it's not going to be tomorrow it's going to be about 400 years because he says the sins of the amorites are not yet full all right well if you know a generation in the old testament is about a hundred years So it took four generations for the slavery to end in Egypt, and they would be brought to the edge of Canesh Barnea to go into the Promised Land. That meant that for 400 years, the Amorites had an opportunity (coughs) to change and reverse course. But of course, God, knowing people as they are and having all foreknowledge, knew that that wasn't going to happen. And then judgment came. And when Israel goes in, that's part of the judgment on these people. Now, what's true then is true now. Listen to this, this description of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. If you want to turn there, that's fine. We're going to be back there in a moment. Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. Right now we are in the age of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And anyone who wants to come to Christ can. And it is by his goodness during this age of grace that he is drawing people to repentance. By his goodness, by his mercy, by his long suffering. But oftentimes that's misunderstood, isn't it? As as perhaps tolerance or even approval of rejecting him or sin but that time is going to come to an end and then jesus is going to add something to his character look at revelation 114 it describes him as his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet are like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. This is not the face of Jesus, meek and mild, watch him bless the little child, okay? This is the face of Jesus. this is Jesus's Judge Judy face. Okay? This is when he's about ready to bring the hammer. Philip Ryken in his commentary says, Never think the purity and compassion of Jesus Christ means naivete. He is not soft or weak in any way. He is immeasurably strong. His eyes like a flame of fire, and out of his mouth a two-edged sword is a picture of judgment. For who? For those who hate him. Now, you've got to understand that even when that judgment is pouring out, still the gospel is going to be preached. And for everyone who will believe in the gospel when it's preached, even during those difficult, terrible, horrible times, will have the opportunity to be saved. And, you know, if that's not going to get him saved, if God's goodness is not going to get him saved, if his wrath is not going to turn him, then there is no hope. There is no hope. But because of the work of Jesus, the righteousness of God is satisfied, and the grace and mercy of God are justly given. And that's why Romans 8-1 is in the Bible for you and me. There is now therefore no condemnation. How much is no condemnation? None. None. So whatever you are going through, if you feel like you're being condemned, Make sure it's not conviction. And if it's not conviction and it is condemnation, it's not coming from the Lord. Okay? It's not coming from him. There's something else going on there. John 1.17 said the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So again, your family's dysfunction is not your destiny. At least it doesn't have to be because... Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. All right. Is there an amen out there for that? Amen. I mean, we identify? I mean, I do. I do. OK. So let's go to what our focus was supposed to be today, all right? Um, fall down worship. Face down worship. Have any of you ever fallen on your face? I mean, literally fallen on your face, done a face plant? Yeah. I was healing from a a broken ankle, and I was on crutches in our kitchen in South Phoenix, and I just made myself a nice big bowl of chocolate chip ice cream.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I had it on my crutches, leaning over, I picked up the bowl, and I went to go back, but the crutches snagged on the carpet, all right, and I could feel it coming. And, you know, in this slow motion all the way down, I had the bowl right there. And I must tell you, I lost my sanctification on the way down. I said a few things that I wouldn't repeat to you now. And I made a great face plant right into that bowl. All right. Well, that's not why Moses is doing a face plant. He's been overwhelmed with God's glory. When we face up to the glory of God, we soon find ourselves face down in worship. I'll repeat that. When you face up to the glory of God, I mean, you spend time in His presence, and you meditate upon His glory, you will find yourself face down in worship. In ancient China, they would call that kind of an action kowtowing. You ever heard of that word before, kowtow? Did you know it was Chinese? How many of you did not know that? I didn't know that either. Um, I love the etymology of words, and kowtow was, I thought it had something to do with cows. I didn't know what, but you know, kowtow, right? And I remember hearing said, I'm not going to kowtow to you. So I always thought it was a derogatory term, and actually um, there is a phrase called, I want you to give me three kneels and nine kowtows. What's that mean? That means you bow down three times, and each time you bow down three times, you hit your head on the ground. Three kowtows lay prostrate on the ground and touch your head to the ground is a sign of reverence and respect. Well, I would never do that to another human being, okay? I don't know how much they would yell or scream at me to do it. But to be in the presence of God, to show as an, an ultimate sign of an inner reverence, absolutely. Bow before the God you got to think about that and, and, and might in your own private devotions find time to prostrate yourself before the Lord to bow face down. In verse 8 it says Moses made haste this is Exodus 34 if you're there again. Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worship. He was compelled to worship when when he saw who God was. When we come to know who God is and his great love for us, I mean, you really understand it, the most practical thing to do is to worship him more than ever. That's the most practical thing to do. And if you take a survey through scripture, you find it's a very common experience. So let's take a little road trip, shall we? Uh, Genesis 17, let's start there. First book of the Bible, chapter 17. Verses 1 through 3. Love it. I love hearing the rustling of the pages and the upward swipe on the screens of your phones and iPads and computers. You know, pretty soon, um, according to Mr. Gates, we're going to be accessing the internet through uh, probes that are in our mind. Have you heard that? Have you seen that? Interesting, huh? Talk about distracted driving. <laughs> All right, anyway, Genesis 17:1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And in an overwhelmed state of God, goodness and blessing, what does it say in verse 3? Abram fell on his face. Okay? Let's go to Numbers chapter 20. Let's go to Numbers. The situation here is that the children of Israel are complaining again. And Moses and Aaron are being overwhelmed with their complaints. None of you have ever been overwhelmed with your children's complaints, I'm sure. But they were. And it says Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And and this tabernacle of meeting, guys, who, who are they supposed to meet with? god that's correct and it says they fell on their faces and the glory of the lord appeared to them so in an overwhelmed state of need they fall face down to worship let's go to first chronicles chapter 21 first chronicles chapter 21 And this is when David in ill-advisedly numbered the people, took a census when he wasn't supposed to, to sort of get an idea of his power and might militarily. And he was warned not to do it, but he did it anyway. And then in verse 16, he says, he lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand, a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So, David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. Recognition of great sin and the consequences that are about to befall it falls face down in worship. All right, let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, keep going. It's one of the major prophets. that's past the Psalms and the Proverbs and Isaiah and such. Ezekiel chapter 1, look at verse 28. And here... He is just uh, in the presence of God, and he's seeing the glory of God. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28, it says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. He had a vision of the glory of the Lord, and it compelled him to go. Face down to worship go to the book of Daniel chapter 10 and here Daniel sees a vision of the Lord Almighty whose face is shining like lightning and his eyes are ablaze as flaming torches and he's just undone by this encounter and it says Daniel chapter 10 verse 15 when he had spoken such words to me I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. That's what happens when you're in the presence of the Lord, and you know it. Now go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17, and you've got Peter, James, and John, and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's one of the places we did not get to go to in our trip to Israel. I kind of wish we had. But you can only visit so many places in 12 hours a day. (laughs) And we did, didn't we? Matthew chapter 17, Peter, James, and John are up there. And Peter, of course, is saying, hey, dude, this is so cool. Listen, you know what we got to do? We got to build a condominium here. Matter of fact, we need to do a whole fleet of condominiums. It would be good for us just to stay up here and live and live and live. And then a voice says, Peter, enough. While he was still speaking, verse 5, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly, see, that's how I know that it was like he broke right into his conversation. Peter, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, diplomatic way of saying, hush. And when the disciples heard it, what did they do? They fell on their faces and were greatly Afraid. An encounter with the true and living God. And let's end our little road trip in Revelation chapter 1 verse 17. Here the apostle John encounters the risen and exalted Jesus whose eyes are blazing like fire and whose face is shining like the sun in his brilliance. And in verse 17 it says and when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead. So over and over and over, overwhelmed to the core, people shrink to the ground in reverence and fear. I've heard this called the wow and woe of worship. Like wow, it's exhilarating. It's a moment in experience, and then all of a sudden there's the realization of whose presence you are in. And then comes the fearful, trembling, the woe. When we truly face up to the glory of God, I said this earlier, we'll find ourselves face down in worship. And one day, we all will find ourselves face down in the worship of Jesus. Now, when I was thinking about this, this uh, of sharing this this morning, and I went over the word kowtow, you know, and I thought of Donald Trump, President Trump. Could you imagine him kowtowing no. to anybody? No, no exactly, exactly, it just, mm. but he will, he will, he will, and he'll have nothing to Twitter about. How much better if we find ourselves face down before the time instead of waiting for the experience to happen to us that we fall. Well, I don't say literally fall. I don't want anybody to get hurt, but we literally go face down in worship of God. There's one experience like that that I want to share with you before we have communion. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 20, back in the Old Testament, guys. Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is the story of Jehoshaphat. Facing insurmountable odds, he's the king of Judah, and he has got forces coming at him from all over the place. I know we read these things like stories, but what if we've been protected by the Atlantic and the Pacific for a long time, an enemy that's going to approach us is going to have to come across a great distance, right? But what if they did? What if they did? And we found on on one side of our shores a Chinese army that's insurmountable, and on the other side of the shores we have everything that is coming from um, um, Russia and Europe. Insurmountable odds, insurmountable forces. That's what Jehoshaphat is facing here. And it says in verse 1, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. Let me stop there. Does this describe where you might be? Do you see something coming that has potential consequences, negative consequences for you, right? Do you, like John Fogerty, see a bad moon rising in your life? Well, set yourself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast. And notice it says in verse 4, Judah gathered together, to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Look at verse 18. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. Face down worship, guys, in a time of trouble. Face down worship, even though nothing has happened yet. But it's coming. And all Judah and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now, verse 19 says, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. I loved hearing the singing this morning. It was with voices loud and high. And I pray that as we end our service today, you will remember that verse and be praising the Lord loud and high, no matter what's going on in your life. He is worthy of praise because he is worthy of praise. He is absolutely worthy. Now I want to read something here from, from Charles Spurgeon. He says they worshiped, but why did they do it? They were not delivered. No, but they were sure they were going to be delivered. Their enemies were not dead, no, they were all alive, but they were sure they would be dead. So they worshiped and their devotion rose from trustful and grateful hearts. Battle belongs to, you can be grateful, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving. Make your supplications known to God, and the peace of God, to which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So is God telling you this morning that you're going to be delivered? And will you be trustful and be thankful? Well, express it. Now look at verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were... Yeah, read that word. What's that last word? Defeated. Can you just feel the wonderment of the writers as they wrapped their minds around the awesomeness of God? Maybe a better term to use is God's otherness. Awesomeness has kind of been worn out in our culture. It's a word that really should only be reserved in, in, in talking about the Most High God. But everything is awesome these days, right? God is awesome. That ice cream was awesome. All right, that little picture your kid drew that's on your refrigerator, that's awesome too. But God is other exodus 15 11 says who is like you o lord among the gods who is like you glorious in holiness fearful in praises doing wonders and by the way that's rhetorical <laughs> all right obviously there is no one like him deuteronomy thirty three twenty six 26 says there is none like the god of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to help you and his excellency on the clouds the eternal god is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Are you writing these verses down? Because you're going to need to find them in your Bible and memorize them. Isaiah 40, 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? And then in verse 25 of the same chapter, it says, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. The Other than one. Worship thrives on wonder. For worship to be worship, it must contain something of the otherness of God. That's why when we start our prayers, as we went through the tabernacle, remember, and we went through praying through the tabernacle, we always start with the attributes of God, of his otherness, of his wonderness of his attributes, which when you meditate on them will start popping circuits in your brain. That's the beginning of worship. Let me read to you a couple of things from, from Matt <clears throat> Redman, and then we'll have our communion. God is so pure, matchless and unique, that no one else and nothing else even comes close. He is altogether glorious, unequaled in splendor and unrivaled in power. He is beyond the grasp of human reason, far above the reach of even the loftiest scientific mind inexhaustible, immeasurable and
4: unfathomable,
0: eternal, immortal and invisible. The highest mountain peaks and the deepest canyon depths are just tiny echoes of his proclaimed greatness. And the blazing stars above the faintest emblems of the full measure of his glory. He goes on to say, I think it's time to stop reducing God to manageable terms. Sometimes, In the church, I worry that we've settled for manageable worship. We convey a tame and domesticated God and then find ourselves stuck in the endless pursuit of the ordinary. But the call is to venture out into the ocean, to encounter the extraordinary, to explore the mighty. We need to wade out into the great deep that is our God, we have merely known the shadows. Face-down worshipers found throughout scripture have one thing in common, an awesome view of God. When our eyes are open to the big picture and we catch a greater glimpse of God, we are awestruck about the otherness of God. And awe is reserved for God alone. It's the look of wonder, the amazement that flows from one who has glimpsed God in his splendor. Or as Job said in 25 two, dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. All worship is a response to a revelation. It's only as we breathe in more of the wonders of God that we can breathe out a fuller response to him. And that's what I would like you to meditate now as we get ready for our communion. Can we all stand please? and Worship team come on up please and I believe that God is stirring up his church again with a holy urgency to delve deeper into the soul-gripping wonders of who he is. And that's going to sustain you. That's going to sustain you through every trial that you will have. It will be him holding you up when you cannot even take another step forward. And we have the examples of the apostles' lives who, after walking with Jesus for three years, were so convinced of who he is that nothing mattered to them. Nothing but to worship this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords. You look at the deaths of some of the apostles and it gives you a powerful demonstration of this belief. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded for his faith. Andrew was crucified, as were Philip and Bartholomew and Jude and Simon. Matthias was stoned to death in Jerusalem, and Simon Peter was crucified upside down. James, the Less was beaten to death with clubs at the age of 94. And many of the other disciples and early followers of Jesus were also tortured and martyred for their faith. Their courageous choice to persevere was a response to the revelation of the worth of God. They had encountered Jesus. The nearness of his friendship and the power of his resurrection they had seen the glory of his ascension and lived and moved in the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. And that was enough. They had seen enough to endure all this. How about us, guys? How about us? What I'm going to ask you to do after I pray is to come down these center aisles to the tables And and choose your communion. And i like, do we have any elders here? David, would you come forward, please? And Teresa, would you come on out? And each take a table, please. And if you are in need of of prayer of any kind, please talk to David or Teresa, and they will pray for you. Otherwise, just take your communion, (laughs) your um, socially distanced communion cup, and return to your seat, and we'll open these all up together at the same time. Okay. So, Father, I I come before you, and uh, we have spoken of your wonder, Lord. Now I pray that you manifest your glory to us. In the recesses of our hearts, manifest your glory. Lord God, um, we have your written word, which is a miracle in and of itself, to show us, and just as Jehoshaphat had your word, But we don't need to see, Lord God, visible wonders. We have your word, and that is enough for us to prostrate ourselves, to kowtow, to face down, worship you. Because you are faithful to your word, you always have been. And it's in it we have our hope and we have the promises that helps us navigate our lives. So, Lord, as these good people come forward to receive the communion, and as they meditate now upon the things that they have heard, may you minister to them the wonders of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come on down and receive communion, please? is
4: mm. the Them who was slain, holy, holy. Must they
0: To drop your cracker, please just raise your hand and we'll bring
1: you another one.
0: You hold in your hands the emblems of the body and the blood of Christ. Jesus said, This is my body which is broken for you. And what we know is, as it tells us in Hebrews, that the veil that was torn was his flesh and if you remember the veil was ripped open so that we could enter into the holy of holies and worship the most high God and we didn't have to go through any more sacrifices. Jesus was the sacrifice and his body was broken for us so that we could enter into the very presence of God being in that presence being at the mercy seat of God he tells us there we can receive mercy and grace in our times of need is this a time of need for you it's a time of need for me so let's just receive this in that spirit father we thank you for the body of Jesus Christ We praise you for the spiritual laws that were taken care of that day and how you provided for us. Do not fully comprehend or understand all of it and how it was done and what it all means, but with great gratitude and great thanksgiving and with awe, we partake of this now. And Jesus said that this was the cup of the new covenant. The old covenant, well, the deal was bulls and doves and goats had to be sacrificed daily, continuously, to cover us, to cover our sins. But Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. And it is his blood. That washes us and cleanses us from our sin. So, two things there. Number one, we have a right standing with God. We are now made righteous before Him, permanently righteous. Secondly, no longer should guilt and shame rule over you no longer guilt and shame because you have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. So, Father, we bow our hearts and give you thanks for this precious emblem of the blood of Christ. Again, the mysteries may take an eternity to unfold to us, but we trust you and trust the fact that you've given us so much evidence through your word that this is necessary and that Jesus provided it for us. Our Creator came, took on the form of a man, died the death of a criminal, and yet rose again on the third day. So thank you for the cleansing of our sins with the blood of your Son. We take this now in the name of Jesus. quintessential I I told you I could do that (laughs) well may the Lord bless you with his quintessence with his grace and his mercy and with his strength and with his power may he enable you to love one another as you should love and to be bold in your witness and sharing as you should be bold and may he continue to revive your hearts may he keep you make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace amen, amen. all right let's sing this one song loud proud and hot. and um My uh, elders and stuff, would you please go by and pick up all of the cups from people? Just pass them to the edge of the rope. Because I want your hands free to clap,
1: okay?